Lord, we do want to look to you as our vision and as our guide, but throughout the week, we lose sight of you, and we are unable to fix our eyes upon you. So, Lord, please open your word for us this morning. Remind us of who you are and call us back to yourself. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Last summer, when I was still at Menlo Park, but talking to the search committee here about coming here, the search committee asked for a videotape of my preaching. So I had one made. But while it was being made, the executive pastor down at Menlo Park found out about it. And he asked me, why are you making a videotape? Are you talking to another church? Now, he and I are really good friends, and we were in a partnership leading that church because the senior pastor had just announced his retirement. And uh, nobody wanted me to leave, and so I didn't want to create anxiety. So, without even thinking about it, I just lied. I said, oh, no. No, just making tapes. And then he said, well, why? And you know what I said? Because my mother wants one. I brought my mom into it. Awful. So I went home and I started feeling incredibly guilty and I, I told my wife about it and, and she said words you never want to hear. I am so disappointed in you. Oh, man. So I had to go back the next day and I told them I lied and I apologized and I said, I'm talking to this church in Bellevue. And he goes, Bellevue? Oh, what a relief. I thought you were going to leave. That's a great church. They'll never hire you. (laughs) So, okay, I'm not perfect. That was a little bit of a white lie. You probably all have done that before. It wasn't so bad, but it raised a question for me. Why, after years of being a Christian, did I just instinctively lie? Shouldn't I be better than that by now? Have you ever had a similar situation or asked a similar question? Maybe you're sitting here in church and the music is great and the sermon is well, the best you've ever heard. And, and you're just so full of the Holy Spirit until you pull out of the parking lot and someone cuts you off and suddenly you're expressing yourself. Or maybe there's a habitual sin that you just keep coming back to. An obsession with money or judgmentalism or a sexual addiction or an out-of-control temper. And you wonder, why do I keep doing this? Will I ever get beyond this? And if so, how? Can people change? Can I change? I got such good news for you this morning. The answer to that question is yes. We're talking about the names of God this month, and the author of Hebrews gives us a great name for Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Pioneer and perfecter. Let me start with the first part of that name. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. And what a pioneer does is that a pioneer is someone who blazes a trail that others can follow. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has already lived a holy life. He has blazed that trail. He knows how to do it so we can follow him. But a pioneer doesn't just blaze a trail. A pioneer gets something started 
gets a movement going, just like the original pioneers got the whole westward expansion going. And it's the same with our faith. Jesus is the one that gets it started in us. Other versions of this verse translate the word pioneer as author. Jesus not only blazes the trail for us, but he is the author of our faith. He's the one that creates faith in him in us. You see, if we believe in Jesus, it's because he's authored that faith in us. It's because he has been chasing us, nudging us to believe in him, urging us to follow him. Before I was a Christian, as you know, I was a committed atheist who spent my time devising arguments against Christianity. But on occasion, I would have this incredible sense that God was with me, which for an atheist is a faith crisis. And to make matters worse, every job I get, I was surrounded by Christians. I had three different jobs, and and in all of them, there were Christians running amok everywhere, hovering around me like flies over raw meat at a barbecue. It was annoying. You know who that was? That was God, pursuing me, authoring faith in me. Because God believes in us even before we believe in him. If you are hearing my voice this morning, whether you believe in him or not, God is pursuing you. That's why you're here. Oh, I know, you might have been drugged here by a spouse or a friend. No, 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 that's what you think. God brought you here because he wants to be in a relationship with you. He is the pioneer of our faith. He begins faith in us. He shows us the way. And the great thing about that is that having gone to all that trouble to find us, He's not going to stop now. Which brings us to the second part of his name, the perfecter of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that will help us mature in faith. You see, there's more to faith than just saying, I believe in Jesus so that I can go to heaven. God wants to do a whole lot more than that with us. God wants us to become like Jesus. I have a preacher friend who who says that if the whole point of Christianity was just to get you into heaven, then we preachers would hold you under the waters of baptism just a little longer. (laughs) That joke works better in a Baptist church. (laughs) The goal of being a Christian is to know Jesus so we can get into heaven and grow in our faith so that we become like him. And Jesus is the one who will get that done for us. He will perfect our faith. Because like a pioneer who knows, who's blazed the trail, he knows the way. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. The text says we are to run with perseverance the race that has been set before us. That suggests more of a marathon than a sprint. It's a process. But that shouldn't surprise us. God works through process. He even took a six-day process to create the world. So he will recreate us in a process, but he will do it. He will perfect our faith. When I look at my life, I have seen God do this over and over again. In spite of the depressing story I told you at the beginning, God has been growing me in my faith. I mean, before I was a Christian, I was an angry atheist who never met a party he didn't like. At 18, I was so shy that I couldn't live in a dorm in college. I had to live alone in an apartment because I was so shy. And after 20 years of following Jesus, I'm none of those things. I'm not shy. I I can preach to you all on a weekend without fear. The party scene bores me, and and the anger issues in my life are almost gone. Almost. (laughs) 
I'm certainly not perfect. I am far from it. And I won't be fully perfect until I get to heaven. But from where I started to where I am, God has made a great deal of progress. And it didn't happen at once. It happened over 20 years of following him. 20 years of reading scripture and letting that change the way I think. 20 years of God's Holy Spirit living in me, changing me. 20 years of taking risks to serve him. It took 20 years, but he is working. So however often you you feel like you get it wrong, don't get discouraged. God is not going to give up on you. He will perfect your faith. You will become like Jesus. Now that raises a question. If Jesus is the one who perfects us, well then, what's our role? Or does God just zap us and make us perfect? You know, poof, you're like Jesus, mate, go enjoy. No, we have a role. God doesn't just zap us. C.S. Lewis says that to ask which is it that makes us like Jesus, God's work in our life or our discipline, is like asking which blade of the scissors cuts the paper. It's both. We have to obey and follow him. But, but God is the one who blesses those efforts, who gives us the strength and desire to do it, makes all that work pay off. And the text outlines some of our responsibilities in this process. Let me just go over them quickly. The text says to throw off everything that hinders. And the image is of runners in a race who strip off all their clothes in order to run better. Because, after all, it's kind of tough to run a marathon in a three-piece suit, Right? And it's the same with our faith. There are things that weigh us down. Hebrews says, strip those off. Working too much? Throw it off. Obsession with money? Throw it off. Fear of taking risk and fear of change? Throw it off. Maybe it's even a hobby. I have a friend who spent all his free time playing video games. Now, nothing wrong with that. There's no sin in video games. But he recognized that it was taking a lot of time away that could be devoted to learning more about God. So for a year, he gave me his videotapes and said, keep these, I'm going to invest in my faith with the time I'd spend doing video games. Whatever slows you down, cast it off. And then the text says that the next thing we should do is get rid of the sin that clings so closely. (laughs) Now there's the rub, right? I mean, some of you might be going, well, if I could get rid of sin, I wouldn't need this sermon, preacher man. I mean, come on. (laughs) And that is the problem. Sin is addictive. If you don't think so, try stopping. And that's where I think the next line of this text is the most important. Then fix our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It is awfully hard to sin when you're looking at Jesus. As a college pastor, I dealt with a lot of young men who had a lot of young men's desires. And they would always say to me, oh, I hate living in California. Nobody wears anything here. Every time I'm turning around, I'm ogling some woman. And I'd say, well, try this. Next time you find yourself sort of looking lustfully at a woman, just pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for this woman. Thank you for how beautiful you have made her. And Lord, I just pray that you bless her that you give her every blessing you have, help her to become everything you have intended her to be, and Lord, while you're at it, bless her, Father. That'll kill it. (laughs) Just try to pray that prayer in lust at the same time. It is tough to sin when we're looking at Jesus. And this works with every other sin you can think of. Uh, Sort of out of control anger, greed, gossip, you name it. 
You see, we never run from temptation. That's a bad way out. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I will not lie, I will not lust, I will not lose my temper, what are you thinking about? What are you focused on? The lie, the lust, the temper? You never run from something. We run to something else. We run to Jesus. You've heard preachers say that sin causes separation from God, and that's true. But it works the other way around, too. Separation from God causes us to sin. Fix our eyes on Jesus and do this constantly because you have to do this all the time. I've had men say to me, I did pray that prayer and, and the lust came back. And I said, well, then pray it again. Right? It's obvious. 24-7, 52, every moment of every day, do as the old hymn says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And as we begin to do that, we become like Jesus, who for the joy set before him was able to persevere to the cross. And actually, there's another helpful hint for the joy set before him. One of the greatest ways to motivate us to do what is right is to keep the long-term goal in mind. For the first time in my whole life, I am having to watch what I eat, and I hate it. (laughs) Diets were invented by Satan. But it's, I just know it. Don't you know? Diets were definitely the devil's work. But it's for the joy of fitting into my clothes that is set before me that I will endure it. And it's similar in our faith. It's for the joy of having a right relationship with each other and with God. It's for the joy of being so connected to God that we can hear his voice. It's for the joy of being free from anxiety and worry because we're so close to God. It's for the joy of being like Jesus that we are motivated to do the disciplines that are necessary to get us there. That's our part. Cast off what hinders, fix our eyes on Jesus, and then reach toward the joy that is set before us. And then God will do the rest, I promise. It's like the Bible story where the little boy brings the loaves, the few loaves and fishes to Jesus, and he blesses them and multiplies them and uses them to feed 5,000 people. We bring our obedience and our discipline. We engage in the spiritual disciplines of prayer and scripture and worship and service. And then Jesus blesses those efforts and multiplies them until we become whole people. Several years ago, there was a student in my ministry who was a severe alcoholic, but would tell nobody because she was so ashamed. But we found out about it right before she was scheduled to go to Italy for a semester abroad, and I can remember thinking, no, 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 this is a bad idea. An alcoholic in Italy, not a good combination. You know, it's not like the Italians are teetotalers. But one of my staff said, do we believe that God can heal her, even in Italy? And for her part, she didn't believe there was any hope at all. I I can remember one day her sobbing with my wife and me, saying, this is never going to go away. This is never going to get any better. My life is ruined. And I'd say, God can heal you. And she'd say, no, he can't. Well, when she left, my staff gave her a Bible and a tape recording of some of the worship songs that we sang in our college group. And one night when she was in Italy, she was about to go out drinking, and she saw that worship tape sitting on her desk. And instead of going out, she she decided to stay in and listen to that worship tape. And she ended up listening to it the whole night long. And the next night, she did the same thing. And then the next, 
and then the next, listening to those worship songs, praying, reading scripture, and slowly she began to thirst for God more than she thirsted for alcohol. And she stopped drinking. I want to read you a portion of the letter she wrote to me when she got back. She said, while I was in Florence, I faced the challenge of partying. But I didn't go out at night. In fact, I have no idea what the Florence nightlife is all about. Instead, I stayed home and spent time alone, just me and my Heavenly Father. And it was at that point that I can honestly say that God became my best friend. I became a Christian when I was seven and rededicated my life in 1996, but it took hitting rock bottom, seeing fear for me in my friend's eyes, and living my life worshiping alcohol and depression instead of God to make me believe in my heart what my head has known for so long. I'm not perfect, and I never will be this side of heaven, but I'm learning to see myself as God sees me. I actually like myself now. A few weeks after returning from Italy, she was able to share her story with our college group as a testimony to what God had done. And before all of this, if you had told me, not only is she going to stop drinking, but she will be able to share her story with 200 of her peers, I'd have said that'd be a miracle. And she'd have laughed in your face at the thought of it because she was so addicted to alcohol and so bound up in shame. But the one who pioneered her faith is also at work perfecting it. Now, she had to cooperate along the way. She had to respond to those nudges from the Holy Spirit to stay in at night and pray. She had to engage in the disciplines of prayer and scripture and worship and service. She had to rely on a community of people around her. But Jesus was there right beside her, blessing all of those efforts and making her whole. And she's not perfect by no means. She's got a long way to go. But that's okay. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that others may note your progress. And isn't it interesting that the mark of a Christian isn't perfection, it's progress. I don't care how messed up you feel today. Even uh, God is not going to give up on you. God is not going to let you go so you don't give up on you. I don't care if you are discouraged because of that same stupid thing that you always do. And I don't care if you do it over and over. I don't care if your friends and your family have given up on you. I don't care if even you've given up on you. God's not going to give up on you. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Do you know what that joy was? It was you. It was you. He was able to go to the cross because he knew that it would put him in a right relationship with you. And having done all of that, is he going to stop now? Not on your life. Because God never gives up. Not on you and not on me. Lord, thank you for that amazing promise. Lord, we ask that you would please help us to follow you. Lord, help us to cast off what hinders to fix our eyes on you and for the joy that's set before us, follow you and obey you and serve you so that we can become like you. Lord, there's no way that we can do this without you. So please be our pioneer, blaze the trail, be our guide and show us the way and we'll be grateful people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.